Welcome to Heal. I'm normally your producer, but today I'll be interviewing Dr. Sarah Marshall for the final episode of season four. In this episode, we'll be talking about a topic that's been a main concern for many of us this past year, COVID-19. We'll discuss what you need to know about post-COVID conditions and long-term COVID syndrome, and whether or not you should get the vaccine. Spoiler alert, it's up to you. I'm Kendra Vicken, and this is HEAL. Ready to start? Yeah, let's get started. It is the last episode of season four, and just a little past our anniversary, our first anniversary. Yep, episode 52 this is. Yeah, can you even believe it? A full year of podcasts. No, it's awesome. I remember when we very, 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 very first started talking about this, and there was a woman who had created a blog called 50 Coffees, and she was one of my inspiring creatives out there when I saw the project she had created. And her intention was actually about switching careers. She was shifting away from the nonprofit world and going to do something different. And she interviewed 50 people and she wrote about it and she had this awesome structure around it. And it was these 50 coffees, which I don't actually think she ever finished. I've never seen all 50 of them, but just that concept was one of the first things we talked about. And here we are at 52. Yeah, we did it. I know when we first started this, we said we were going to do it for a year and then, you know, revisit. And it's <laughs> just depending on how well it was doing. We're trapped. I think it's, we're never getting yeah. away from it. No, in the best possible way, though. Yep. It yeah. has, I it, it has exceeded my expectations. Absolutely. Me too. At least, you know, when we were kind of goal setting for where we'd be at this time, I, you know, we're doing better than I even thought, which is a really, really good feeling. And this season's been awesome. You know, we've got to bring back some of our heavy hitters from prior seasons, people like Ed Kennedy and Corey Three Wing Thrill and Audra Boyd and Molly Evans. And what an awesome time to hear back from some of our favorites. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, Molly was our very first guest ever. So to get a year later recap on where she was and at this new benchmark for her seven years into her healing journey of topical steroid withdrawal and how that's like not even the context for her anymore. And what is it to just let go of your diagnosis and be a person in the world who has these things that she does and doesn't do and where her health was at. She lovingly fired me as her doctor actually And it was awesome. She was like, I adore you. And I don't want to have to talk to you all the time anymore. So I'm going to go do something else. And it was perfect. It was perfect timing. It was awesome for where she was at and launching off. And then Corey three wing, holy hot beans. What the heck? That was like the most intense, most amazing power packed. I mean, that was like a seminar, not just a podcast on creating your life. That was incredible. I actually, well, behind the scenes for everybody listening to this now, I edited Corey's episode last night of us recording this episode (laughs) and you're, you weren't kidding me. What? I mean, and you kind of joked in that episode about it being like a coaching session for you. And then listening to it felt like that for me. Yeah. Especially I listened to it on day. I was kind of having a bad day and, you know, like had these like negative thoughts and then this whole concept, you know, kind of just comes in about you know what are you like manifesting and thinking of and how are you chasing joy and what are you creating with your thoughts and it 
yeah, that was a rock star episode for sure. One of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. And we had Audra come back and deepen the conversation about emotional intelligence and dealing with all of our uncomfortable emotions and Ed Kennedy taking it a step further, sharing about what he's been dealing with, with, you know, male depression and, you know, not that it's a really like gender specific, but the things that specifically men deal with when around the world of depression and, you know, an addiction to accomplishment and all of that comes with it. And then all of the amazing new topics we took on that we've never ventured into. Yeah. I loved, you know, getting to hear from Corey Lovejoy and about her transformation and going deeper into the roots of racism with Maisha Claiborne and getting to talk about climate restoration with Greg Peterson. This whole season was like a beautiful marriage between going deeper in places we had gone already mm-hmm. and going to places we hadn't really yeah. explored yet. And a big stretch for me was when we had the medical doctor on talking about women's cancers and how like I loved having her. And at the same time, I watched myself have to deal with my own biases of like, am I going to be pro HPV vaccine? Like that's the cornerstone of one of her tactics of preventing women's cancers. And we have a different opinion about our approach to vaccination, but it was so great to actually bump up against my boundaries and then examine them and get new information and be able to talk about something that normally I would have just had an automatic, I don't know if I'm into this or I disagree just having an opinion about it, even as a physician. And so it was really great. And that episode was way more than about the HPV vaccine. I mean, just, she's been cutting cancers out of women's bodies for 25 years. So, you know, she's got a pretty strong stand about, you know, how much our lifestyle choices can make a difference in preventing cancer and how little we tend to focus on that. And she's not the only a doctor we got to hear from this mm-hmm. season either. You know, we got to talk to Dr. Mandolin Hoffman about Marfan syndrome. Mm-hmm. And we got to talk about physician burnout and suicide and with Dr. Rachel Reinhardt Taylor. Yeah. As well as neurolinguistic programming. That one was super interesting to me. That wasn't something I was even aware of. My issue. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Prior to that episode. This yep. was an awesome season. So fun. Through and through. So fun. Yep. And so, you know, for those of you that maybe haven't hit all the episodes yet, now you've got your teaser alert and you can go back and pick on some of them because they just were all, I mean, and our first yogi, we had Holly on and she was just rock star and, you know, loved having that different perspective about a deep yoga practice and somebody who's actually made a career out of being a yoga instructor. And like, it's, literally her expertise and the whole world she could come from of different ways of thinking about yoga than just quote unquote an exercise class and what it is as a practice and what it is as you know a lifestyle yeah it was it was a great season and Mm -hmm. like you said people should definitely make sure they listen go back and listen if they've missed any because we'll be out right quickly with the next season yeah And we have some amazing stuff coming up in season five too. So you don't want to get too far behind listeners. Mm -mm. Um, (laughs) Get caught up before there's even more awesomeness coming towards you. But this year hasn't even just been like awesome stuff for the podcast. We have some awesome stuff going on in the lives of the people who are, who are doing it in your life and my Mm -hmm. life. And you have some big updates for people listening. 
to yeah the I moved to New York and this was like holy moly I mean I've been actually I've been threatening about moving to New York for years and it's literally been like so my family I grew up in Rochester New York right on the shores of Lake Ontario and my parents have lived here the whole time my whole life and my sister's in the area she's actually down about five hours south in Pennsylvania I have aunts and uncles and cousins who live here. And then I've got cousins in downstate New York and Vermont and um, Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And, you know, my whole extended family pretty much is in the New England, New York region. And except I have uh, some cousins in Sweden, although we'll see if they stay in Sweden. But it has been a quite a transformation to even confront moving back to my hometown of Rochester, New York. And it just, quite frankly, it came up in conversation again with my partner and I pretty much put my foot down and said, this isn't the year, not happening, not doing it, not going to, I don't want to deal with my health with, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome has gotten way better to the point where I've even said on a couple episodes, like, I don't think I even qualify for the diagnosis at this point. Like whatever I'm dealing with is a functional version. It's something, it's not completely gone out of my system. I can definitely tell I hit my limits, but I'm in like a different phase. And I can actually look back and say, probably when I started feeling the changes in my body was about a year ago. I didn't get diagnosed until last August, but you know, it was, it was about this time last year that I definitely started experiencing it. And I'm in a whole new place now with my health and well-being. But part of this next Well, the question I've been in is now what? Like I can function, quote unquote, but I do know from my own experience as a physician and what I've done with my clients is if I stay where I am now, something's going to happen and then I'm just going to bottom out again. It's like I've just barely got my head above water. I am not on dry land yet. And this is a place that so often I watch my clients struggle with where they're not in crisis anymore and they can pretty much participate fully in life, but then they hit this place where then life starts coming back at you. My practice is full again. I'm working full time. The podcast is cranking. I'm working Mm -hmm. on building those courses we've been talking about. Like there's a lot of things happening and here I am. Like I still am not all the way through though. So part of that was what else do I need to do? Like to really transform my lifestyle what are the actions that could be taken? And that's a big chunk of where the conversation about moving back to New York came from. And it was to be close to family, to be in a different environment. I mean, right now I'm looking out at a forest of green trees and grass, and I have a lot of nature around me. Like technically there's a subdivision somewhere on the other side of that forest. I can't see it, but I know it's back there. But then out the front side of my house is farmland. Like my neighbors on the other side of the street is 125 acre farm. There are like all these small family farms up and down my street. I mean, like I'm right on the edge of where suburbia and the rural part of town is. And I'm, you know, as the crow flies three quarters of a mile from the shore of Lake Ontario. And like, they just have so much access to quiet and nature and greenery, which is hilarious saying that having lived at the foot of the mountains in Salt Lake City, it's different. It's a different (laughs) pace of life here. So that was a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a great place to restore and rest and ensure that your progress is sustainable. Yeah. 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 And then how about you, my dear? We've moved along with a few things in your life. 
Oh, yeah. I actually think I announced on the last episode of season three that I was pregnant, which has been quite a journey. I still am pregnant. Now you're very, very, very (laughs) pregnant. (laughs) Now I'm pretty pregnant. Yep. And things are going well. We found out that she's a girl. Awesome. Uh, we've we've named her. Her name's going to be Ivy. And so we're just busy over here making sure that things are ready for her arrival in September. And that includes, you know, working ahead with you on mm-hmm. uh, stuff for Heal, as well as some of your courses, hoping to get all of that done before the fall so we can take a little bit of a break, which will be nice. I'm going on maternity um, leave with you. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, you're gonna I have doubt to. it. But we are pulling. I mean, it was so awesome to get to look at that with you and I just share this with our listeners because it's like this is the shit that happens in our life and we have something occur and then you look at what are you committed to and what's happening in your life and we could have easily said we're going to take a season off. I mean, we've been yeah. producing and we've got this great amount of material and No, no, no. We went the other way and we said, how could we set this up where we get a season ahead and create spaciousness on the other side, but not just overburdening ourselves, but being efficient. And so that's what we've taken on for the summer is we're going to actually get through recording season five and season six this summer and set ourselves up to have some space around it. And you guys won't even know it'll just keep rolling out. Yeah, the listeners will have no idea as it's happening. We've told them now, but yeah, the I'm sure out. they'll forget and they won't even notice it by the time uh-huh. they're listening to season six. Yeah, and then you know we'll be right back at it for season seven, which will be which will be awesome. And you know I've been doing some other work of my own. I did my own course that's a branding course for people who are you know kind of just starting out their businesses, entrepreneurs that need a place to start to establish a business for themselves and have you know, a look and feel that's cohesive. And so that's been super exciting and it's been good practice for some of the bigger courses. I'll be helping you to develop over the summer and getting used to running those types of systems. So it's, it's, you know, it's been a, it's a very busy season for me, especially with all that I am trying to accomplish prior to having a baby, but it's like one that's really full of joy and like stuff I'm excited and passionate about. And it definitely is a season of growth and transformation and this podcast continues to somehow inform everything I'm going through. And I know, right? <laughs> you can't get away from it, but I love no. it. It's like the best Petri dish cauldron we've put ourselves into. <laughs> so thank you guys who are listening to support our inner transformation as we work out this freaking thing called producing a podcast about the inquiry of what does it mean to heal and how do we heal and how do we live whole healed lives? And I love that we hear that from listeners too, that it seems like the episodes are, you know, speaking right into something that they are going through or processing because even the ones that are about really particular topics, there's still these overarching concepts that are applicable then to so many other scenarios. And that's one thing I love about it is that it does just echo in this idea of like healing and growth and transformation and pursuing our best lives and living those lives. And what, what a cool place to be. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, what should we, what, what do we do now in the rest of this episode? (laughs) I think it's time to address the elephant in the room, which is that, you know, we keep wanting to talk about what people are going through, you know, major applicable healing topics. And there's one that we've continued to touch on, but never talk about in depth. And that is COVID-19. 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say that. That's awesome. And I immediately have a pit in my stomach as soon as you say that. <laughs> it's a big topic to cover. Yeah. And it's new. It's such a new topic. It's not one that we can, you know, have decades of research about because right. it's new. Yeah. And I mean, I am glad, I mean, clearly we did plan this guys, but still I preparing for this episode, I have been more worked up, more nervous, more concerned about what am I going to say that's wrong? Where is I'm going to stick my foot in my mouth, which I'm really good at doing. Where am I going to go too far? So like, look, uh, here's my giant disclaimer about this episode. It is time for us to talk about you know, there's some big things going on. There's a lot of people now in the world of either post COVID syndrome or COVID long haulers, which that's a whole thing. Yep. Yep. Do we even know what the difference is? We're going to talk about what the difference is between that. And then, you know, a lot of Americans are vaccinated, but not all of Americans are vaccinated. So for some of you guys who are already vaccinated, this is going to be, well, now let's talk about the choice you already made. Like I've, I'm already vaccinated and and I'll, I mean, Kendra, you can ask me, why did I choose to get vaccinated knowing what I know yeah. and like all of that. And, and it's, we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. And there's a lot we're not going to know for decades. But we, again, like when I took on saying, we're going to talk about physician suicide and physician burnout, like it's, it's got to be talked about if we're not willing to actually at least share about this. And I'll do my best to bring as much hard science and knowledge as I can. And if I can't remember a reference off the top of my head, we'll be able to look stuff up and provide it for you guys in the show notes. But yeah. All right, let's do it. I think that's great. Yeah. Where, where should we dive into this? Well, one thing topic? I'll say is, you know, the other thing I've been doing since the end of season three, well, kind of it was happening already at the end. So since January is I have been kind of a continuing education, medical continuing education junkie. I've taken twice as many credit hours as I'm actually required to in a year this year already. And it's like not even halfway through the year because they just kept having these incredible seminars. And I'm like, I can't not dive into that because it's what we're dealing with right now. So right, right. I'd already gotten pretty interested in learning more about mold and fungal infections like chronic candida and aspergillus and even some pretty significant GI dysbiosis because, and dysbiosis just means that when the microbiome of our gut, so all of the gut bugs that are supposed to live in there, when they're not in a healthy balance, just like the environment, when it's not in a healthy balance, you get dysbiosis, the biotic, the microbiome of your gut is not in alignment to produce the best health possible. And, you know, for 10 years of being a naturopath, one of the big areas that I've studied a lot is adrenal fatigue. And the adrenal glands are these two little glands that sit on top of the kidneys and they produce cortisol they produce epinephrine and norepinephrine. If you think of the word adrenaline, it's literally got adrenal in the name because that comes from the adrenal glands. And it's the part of the body that deals a lot with stress. And it's like traumatic stress of getting in a car accident or having surgery or being in an abusive relationship or getting yelled at by somebody. So it's emotional stress can actually impact the adrenal glands. But then also there's these other sources of stress in our body like toxicity and in low-grade infections or long-term chronic or latent infections. 
they all are related to adrenal stress. And what I noticed after years and years and years of trying to treat the adrenal glands is there were some people where it was like, we could never get out of the hole. They would only get so much better. And so that had me researching and getting into what's underneath that. And one of the big areas I had not yet explored were things along the lines of very persistent, difficult to treat gut infections like clostridia carriers or candida. And then, like I said, mold. So I took a two-day seminar on that and it just like blew my mind. Got into the relationship to like neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's and dementia. And then also what kids, a lot of kiddos deal with, with learning disabilities, ADD, ADHD, spectrum disorders, and then even behavioral stuff, anxiety, depression. So like, why the heck am I talking about that related to COVID? It's super related actually, because the gut microbiome has a lot to do with how people responded to COVID or how they'll respond to the vaccine. And the gut microbiome is all connected to this. So there's just been this, like, I'm going to do my best to make sense out of it all today. I've been swimming in this pea soup of like, and then over here, I learned this. So I did that. I loved it. So I registered for their master practitioner seminar. So I did three more days of training. It was like 27 hours total. And then I got an email that there was a group of people that had gotten together to put together a symposium on the aftermath of infectious disease. And we did a whole series of stuff on long-term COVID and post-COVID syndrome, and then talked more about viral infections and Epstein-Barr virus, which is the key virus that's connected to chronic fatigue syndrome and how we're dealing with that. And then one of my favorite professors ever, Dr. Heather Zwicky, who is a brilliant immunologist, decides to lead her vaccine and seminar two-day intensive that she hasn't taught in 10 years because vaccines are such a controversial topic and she was having such a hard time with responses and she just stopped teaching it and she taught it again. So I tossed that one in. So I got sources. Yeah, <laughs> about all sounds of like this. you sounds like you've been busy doing the doing the homework. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it it is relevant and it is what we're dealing with right now. And it's like there and there's unfortunately going to be a lot more chronic disease and chronic illnesses stemming from 2020 and 2021 and what we're dealing with inside the pandemic on many fronts, actually people who've had COVID, actually people are gonna deal with some impacts of the vaccine, and then a whole bunch of other things that have been impacted because of the way we've had to live this last two years. Oh, I was, was muted, sorry. Yeah, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense and that's where some of those like long COVID and post COVID symptoms and issues come in then too, right? It's not. Mm -hmm. always just a two-week issue that when you're when you're through it you're through it unfortunately not and so what what is that what does that look like yeah what do we know about that yeah so one thing that I even noticed I had to get the definition clear in my head because we just kind of throw those terms around long haulers is the phrase that has been thrown around and you thrown around has been utilized for people who get COVID and they still have 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 COVID. And it, the actual definition is a active COVID infection lasting longer than three weeks. So my sister technically qualifies for having had long COVID because it was more like Mm -hmm. five to six weeks was very, it took five weeks for her fever to break. And then she still had 
another good month of lung symptoms and fatigue and brain fog. And then there was some other things. And now there's stuff though, that we're questioning and it's in, this is that big giant, we won't know. And there's research being done actively, but we can only get so much data because we only have had it for so long. But, you know, some people have talked about increased levels of anxiety and depression after having a COVID infection that's not just about the pandemic. And we're seeing now the connections to the neuroinflammation that happens, the brain inflammation that happens, and that there could mm -hmm. actually be some specific alterations that happen there. So long COVID is really about the actual disease itself continuing on nonstop. Then there's post-COVID syndrome, which if you're a little confused about post-COVID syndrome, it's because we're all a little confused about post-COVID syndrome and exactly how do we define it and where's that line? And, and it's like, well, if you had COVID for two weeks, and then you have nothing, and then you have a new symptom, and we can trace it back to being related to COVID, then is that post-COVID? Or what if you had long COVID and it becomes something new? Is yeah. that now post-COVID? Are you still in long COVID? Well, this is where it's like, and one of the challenging things to the research right now, and it, it makes sense that we're doing this, so this isn't a slam, it's just what we're dealing with is, most people to be entered into a study have to have been hospitalized. It's the like defining feature we're utilizing in a lot of things is were they hospitalized, but then people who are hospitalized are in a very specific category of disease because there's a lot of people who didn't have a very severe COVID infection. They maybe right. even never had a fever, but are dealing with substantial, like to the point of being disabled, cannot like, like as in qualified for disability and cannot work right now impacts on their life yeah. months after. And these yep. are people that historically with other viruses and other circumstances, because this can happen with cytomegalovirus, this can happen with shingles, this can happen with all kinds of other viral infections and probably bacterial and whatnot diseases. But we haven't, these are a lot of people we used to say are, I almost said canoodling. That is not the right word. There is a medical <laughs> term for people who just kind of like the linger in their symptoms. And I kid you not, there were actual definitions in my medical lexicon about hypochondriacs, people who are faking severe disease. And then there's the whole world of, you know, somatic diseases where they're just causing themselves to have an unreal disease because of their emotions. Mm -hmm. And then there was this word that I'm going to think of that's not canoodling, malingling, malingering. I don't know. I'm totally not coming up with it, but my own chronic fatigue brain sp speaking now, but it's basically like people who just sort of lays about in the end of their disease and they're not really getting over it. But it's all of these terms, when I learned them, even in naturopathic medical school, there's an unspoken conversation underneath called, it's your fault and you don't have a real disease. Like you should somehow be able to get over it. You should somehow be able to just knock it off. And there was, that was an attitude. That's still, unfortunately, an attitude that exists in certain circles in the medical community right. and how we interact with patients. And so the good news about how many people are going to have post-COVID syndrome and deal with long-term impacts is we may actually finally break through this conversation of acknowledging how impactful, you know, a chronic viral infection can actually be and how mysterious it seemingly can be, although we're figuring the science out on that, like 
why some people are having clots and other people are having nervous system pain. And that's the main thing is fluctuating pain that comes and goes. Like the symptoms are very broad because of the way viruses right. can impact different systems in the body really easily. So that answer your question and I did I just muddy up the waters even more, but at least we're talking. No, about I think that is, that definitely clears it up for me. I know, you know, TikTok's not a reliable place to get medical information, <laughs> but, but. <laughs> but it's entertaining. And I've seen a lot on there about people who kind of what you were describing, there was a user on there who talked about how she had like a pretty mild case of COVID like six months ago at this point. And now is having like major respiratory issues and it has affected like her job because she had a job, I, I believe like waitressing where she was on her feet, you know, but she gets too taxed. It's too hard for her to breathe. Uh -huh. And so then you hear stories like this and then you hear terminology floating around like long COVID versus post COVID yeah. versus like what's real or not real. Right. Like you were kind of talking about, and it's, it's good to get clarification on those things and that, you know, these are things that are really happening and these are, are very real considerations and something to be prepared for in certain circumstances and to validate that that's yeah. part of this experience. And to validate the people around you, you know, if this isn't happening to you or to somebody that, you know, you know, I've had a client who had a very mild experience with the actual quote unquote acute phase of COVID. And it's been almost five months, four months, and they're still not back to work yet. And it's been a battle with their employer about like validating this because they never went to the hospital because they, they never, it didn't, it didn't even warrant it. Now on right, the flip right. side of that, where our hospitals were at, I had another client who had very severe COVID. We couldn't get him into the hospital. They wouldn't take him because he was quote, too healthy of a person overall. And he had a very right. severe case, which we will get to is make a note of this question, which is why do some people who are seemingly totally healthy or they have no comorbidities or anything like that, have severe cases of COVID, if not even die of COVID. We can talk more about that too. But what I wanted to also say about long COVID and post COVID and people who we have it like the severity of the initial disease should dictate the severity of the length, yeah. you know, like that that's, that's some right. linear relationship. But here's something to know about the immune system that can bend this inside out. So I can't say that this is exactly what's happening in COVID because we don't actually have the research yet to say it, but this is in general in other immune system issues, fighting diseases and, and especially infectious diseases, something that happens, which is we actually need a strong immune system to have a strong immune response to a virus yeah. or a bacteria or a parasite. And what we actually see, like when I have a client who comes into my office with autoimmune disease, say lupus, and they, they tell me all about their lupus and this is nothing against that person, but then they proudly tell me it's really weird though. I have this crazy chronic disease, but I haven't been sick in eight years. That's a red flag to me. Interesting. Because what it's actually telling me is their immune system is out of whack. It's dysfunctioning in such a way that they're not able to mount a proper response to viruses right. and bacteria. Because in the world we live in, you can't escape them. You're going to be exposed. Right. And a lot of what we think of as being sick is really, correct me if I'm wrong, our, our body fighting it, right? Like our yeah. fever is because our body's fighting yeah. off certain viruses. Interleukin-6 or... produces the fever, which is a cytokine yep. produced by T-cells, 
which is one of the types of white blood cells in our body. And then there's a whole bunch in cytokine is another word that's been thrown around a lot. Cause what we're hearing is when people die of COVID, they die of a cytokine storm, but not everyone, because you can also die of an overreaction of the inflammatory response in the body and cytokines are, this is where it gets the, 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 the lexicon and the specific science start to overlap with each other. There are actually some cytokines that are pro-inflammatory. They cause inflammation in our body. There's other cytokines that don't, and they, they're working from a different mechanism. And then there's antibodies, which are not the same thing. So this is where if you're an immunologist, you can <laughs> send us a post to correct the places yeah. in this that I don't quite get it right. Cause I will do my best of my memory and my revisiting of immunology recently, but we have white blood cells which are from our immune system and they're mostly made in the bone marrow. And then they go up into our lymph nodes and in our lymph nodes is where they actually hang out with other white blood cells and they talk and they're like, oh, there's a nasty fungus down on the big toe. And the other one's like, oh my God, I saw a bacteria in the vagina. And they all talk to each other and they're like, oh yeah. And then there's this cold virus that came in into the throat and they tell each other about the bad bugs that are in the body. Hmm and they swap information. So when your lymph nodes are swollen, what that is, is all of your white blood cells talking to each other and creating more and puffing themselves up and building themselves up. And they're like having a big party in there so they can go out and attack. So swollen lymph nodes is one of those things we think of as being sick, but that's actually our body doing its job. And so so then the white blood cells can fall into kind of two categories. There's actually way more, but we're gonna just leave it here, which is B cells and T cells. There's also macrophages and dendrites and natural killer cells and T helper cells and all kinds of fun things. And my immunology professor, who was Heather's Wiki, who taught that seminar on vaccines, I she made us handwrite all of our notes because she knows how we learn. And she would draw yep. this all out on a chalkboard. She could write way faster than me. And she had all these cartoon characters. So I still have these images of like the big macrophages that are the garbage collectors. And I kind of had this <laughs> image, like a macrophage was like Oscar the Grouch of the body and would like run around and like, yeah, it, but you know, it worked. It stuck with me 15 yeah. years later. So your T cells produce cytokines and your B cells produce antibodies. And there's another question you can earmark, which is how can I be immune to COVID if I don't have antibodies? You can come back to that one. And so with this is where the cytokines come from. And so in all of that, your body can have different kinds of responses depending on which cytokines are high. Now, if we got to the place where individualized medicine was the norm, We Mm -hmm. would be doing blood tests on everybody who comes into an emergency room and we would be testing all their cytokines because you could literally say which direction their immune system was reacting or overreacting based on this, but it would be really expensive right now, just to even be able to do a standard blood count on every single person who walks in the door to know, do they have a high level of white blood cells? Is their body fighting an infection period? We don't even barely... We have eosinophils, basophils, monocytes. You'll see those on your blood test, but we don't get into the details of what are each of those cell types actually doing in the body. And just the cell count doesn't really tell you about the reactions they're having. So that it's not always that more cytokines means more white blood cells. You could have a normal white blood cell count and you could have really high cytokines because they're busy. They're active doing right, things. Right, right. So that's where some of like, I'm not going to get into the details of which cytokine does what, but that can help you understand why 
one person's having lung fibrosis and somebody else is having pain and tingling in their nervous system and somebody else is having depression and somebody else is having severe diarrhea and somebody else is having POTS, which is a common one that's coming up, which is a postural tachycardia. Like when you change position, suddenly your heart is racing really bad and people have been dealing with that. And then there's also some issues around blood clotting that's coming up with the vaccines, which there's all this milieu of different immune system type reactions that starts to explain why one thing is happening to one person, not another. And so if you don't have a strong immune system or only one category of cytokines is working and another category is suppressed, you could be very sick and never get a fever. Right. But you don't experience being very sick because you're not having those outward symptoms. And right. that, those people in my assessment from what I know as naturopathic medicine are more likely to end up with a long-term condition because their immune system wasn't able to properly fight off COVID in the first place. But you can then also have people that have a very severe reaction to COVID and they also have long-term. So like, this is where there's no one answer. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe this is a question for later, or maybe this is a good segue. I had heard somewhere on the internet, probably that you can kind of tell about that based on your response to the vaccine. Now, knowing that this vaccine's an mRNA vaccine and not like one with the virus in it, does that still apply? Like are people who are having really strong immune responses to the vaccine, is that a sign that they have a higher functioning immune system? And then people who don't have, you know, severe reactions to the vaccine, it, it means they don't. And, I, and I'm, maybe, yep, I'm kind yep, of asking right? for Good. reasons. Yeah. Because I did get the vaccine and I had like almost no response. To, I had like some yeah. injection site soreness yeah. uh, for both doses and like no other symptoms at all. Good. And Clear. so then it kind of alerted me when I was like, oh, that could oh, be a crap. sign that my immune system's not functioning well. Okay. So, so is that the case with the vaccine too? <laughs> nope. <laughs> and here's, here's the thing again, welcome to the soup. And what I mean by the soup is each individual person has different genetics. They have a different microbiome and you never know what's going on in somebody's gut ecology, even by looking at their health on the outside. It's very difficult to tell. You can have somebody with a very sick or imbalanced microbiome that look very healthy on the outside. And they may not even have any comorbidities because your microbiome is going to change first and a disease could come 10 years later and you'll never even know what's going on at the beginning. So follow-up question for you in particular, which is, were you pregnant when you got the vaccine? I was, yeah, I was about 18 weeks pregnant when I got the first dose. So your immune system is completely different than everybody else's. The immune yeah. system of a pregnant woman is shifted. So you don't reject the fetus. Now, in some places, the immune system of a pregnant woman is higher and in other places it's lower. So we can't really say exactly, but, but that would be one component and that's not even all the components. So let's pretend, and I'm making this up for the example, but I got to give something to stick this to. Let's pretend there are five ways your body can respond to COVID. And that means COVID, the, vac the virus, and also the vaccine. And the point of the vaccine is to cause your body to be immune, to have cellular immunity and memory. If you 
had been exposed to COVID previously and you never actually got the disease. Now, here's another thing I want to create as a distinction for people. You can have exposure to a bug and your body can clear it and fight it so fast that you never actually have a disease. So there's the actual bug itself and then there's the actual infectious process that causes pathogenesis, which is the actual disease part. So mm-hmm. you could have had that. And again, there would which be- Which I did. There you go. And yeah. what you don't know is with that exposure, was it enough to start to trigger some cellular memory? Which would mean that yeah. when you got the vaccine, you would have less of a response because your body already could detect it. Right. Then there's the part where, again, still for that reason, your genetics and microbiome have to do with whether or not you ever had a severe reaction to the virus. Then there's the amount of particles you have to be exposed to to get sick. So I have the data here. Let's see if I can pull it up really quick. It's 10 million particles, I think. <laughs> you have sounds to be exposed like such a to. Hard, high number. And what we've discovered is, I'll see if I can find it, make sure I correct myself if that's not the right one. But what we've discovered is in those 10 million particles, that pretty much means being in close proximity, talking to somebody for 15 minutes. Right. The infectiousness of the bug doesn't change. The exposure to how many bug particles did you get exposed to is part of it. And is it enough to actually cause disease and infection into your body. So that yeah. was another question is what, what, what was the type of exposure that you had? Oh, uh, so mine, my best friend had coronavirus um, that she got from work. She was a bartender. And at the time she was planning her wedding. So she came over and we looked at some venues online and then I helped her try on her dress again, you know, just to make sure things were fitting well. And then she got a call a couple hours later that there had been an exposure at her work and to go get tested. And so she did. And then it came back that she was COVID positive. You would say you definitely probably could have gotten those 10 million viral particles. And I did look it up. That is correct. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely possible. And that's, you know, we've kind of troubleshooted that because it's like, I wonder, you know, like everyone at her work got it. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, I hung out with her for at least like 20, 30 minutes. Right. Now we're, we weren't talking face to face and we've talked about like, maybe that was uh, like enough of the difference. You know, we right. were sitting side by side looking yep. at the computer and then I was zipping up her dress from behind her. So like maybe- <laughs> I love the way you've analyzed like- it, right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, so maybe that's enough to maybe not have gotten those 10 right. million particles, even though the amount of time was enough time. Right, yep. And, we and that's where there's different feet. factors, yep. And so right. what we do know from the data, and this is backed up by the research we've seen is singing- salivating and spitting because it's it's we, we say it gets transmitted in respiratory droplets but like literally what that means is spit that's where that's coming from yeah. I mean it is respiratory coming from the lungs but it's going to come up through and be in your saliva so places that have been really more concerning where people can actually have more likelihood of getting that 10 million vital viral particles exposure is in churches where there's a lot of singing and then bars and restaurants because we're eating. And as soon as we're eating and drinking, we're salivating more. And then the mother of them all is karaoke bars because people are eating, drinking (laughs) and singing (laughs) all in the same place. And they've been seeing that a lot in Asia. Interestingly to note though, and this might be where you fall into the category with your best friend is we're not seeing it spread in gyms, which is interesting because heavy breathing 
isn't the same thing as excess salivation. And you actually don't tend to salivate more in the gym. Most of us don't. And so we're not really seeing it as much there. But then like prison system, it's rampant because you are almost always next to somebody for longer than 15 minutes. It's, right. it's very difficult to have people separated by six feet and all the things that come with that. So this goes back to the question, which is, did does me having you know no symptoms to the virus mean that I had lower immune response? So one thing is you're pregnant. Another thing is you have been previously exposed and your immune system might've learned something. Then there's these other components too, which is it's a coronavirus. And we've had coronaviruses around in the human system for a long time. And so there are the way the body creates specific immunity. And, and there is, there's, there's specific immunity is learned about a very specific virus or par parasite or bacteria. And we now know it can also be their own human tissue and it can be to specific foods. But what that is, is we're actually have a code of amino acids that are part of a protein or a peptide. And that coding of those amino acids actually register with part of the immune system as like the flag that we recognize is that the bad guy. We can't see the whole thing. Our mm -hmm. immune system actually doesn't memorize the entire monster. It only memorizes one little part of the monster. So your body could have memorized the part of a previous coronavirus that is similar to COVID. Interesting. And then you're going to have some of that. And then there's also just the part where your immune system just didn't respond much with much of a fever or anything like that. Now, generically, very generically speaking, if someone has a fever response to a virus at all, we consider that actually a good, strong immune response. But then, you know, it depends on the person and do they have autoimmune disease and do they have a history of cancer and what else is going on in their immune system? Because all of that will skew different directions. Yeah, that's harder or more confused yet. <laughs> uh, I think it's I think it's really helpful to have this introduction, and, you know, and we can maybe just transition from here to talking about the vaccine in general. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I'll just ask you right out. I You've talked about it a little bit, but here's a chance to talk about it again. Are you vaccinated? Did you get the vaccine? And, uh, you know, what went into making your decision? Yeah, about so that? So I did get the vaccine and I got the Moderna. That was what was available. And I didn't worry in my particular case about which type I was getting. Although we now have some good science that's coming out that if you have considerations and what considerations, some of the things I've already mentioned, immune disorders, autoimmune disease, cancer, whether you're in chemo, post chemo, or not doing chemo, your immune system operates very differently when you have cancer. And there's, there's many other conditions that would be in those categories. So this is an absolute go to your physician and talk to them about it. Granted the world we're in right now, there is a bit of towing the party line happening where pretty much all physicians are going to say categorically get vaccinated under all circumstances. But this is where I'm probably about to open my mouth and stick my foot in it is to talk a little bit about we should think about it and that people should be able to actually ask the questions and really evaluate the pros and cons, which the big thing is the answer to everything is, well, we don't know yet, but it doesn't <laughs> mean then we're all safe and we shouldn't even worry about it just because we don't have the information or we can't stand on a specific result does not mean 
that we're perfectly safe and we should ignore any consequences. So it's, it's like, again, we got to talk about right. it. So me personally, I did choose to vaccinate. Now, to be completely honest, if I had taken the vaccine seminar before I'd been vaccinated, I would have probably come to the same conclusion, but I would have thought about it a little bit more in detail. So I got the information after the fact, here we are. Because I've dealt with chronic fatigue syndrome this last year, and I did actually have auto or um, antibody titers for cytomegalovirus and for Epstein-Barr virus, I probably should have rechecked those titers taken a look at how my immune system was functioning as a whole. I might've even personally paid the money to get cytokines checked, which you can do through LabQuest, LabCorp or um, Quest Diagnostics. Mm -hmm. You have to probably strong arm your physician to get it done. And you may have to pay out of pocket because it may not be quote deemed medically necessary, but those are some things I could have done to evaluate. Now, the tricky part about measuring cytokines is because we haven't done a lot of research with them yet, we don't have known threshold values of what is high and what is low. And the reality is it probably depends on the person, which is another reason why measuring the cytokines might not be so great of an idea because what are you comparing it to? If we don't know what normal values are, or what too much or too little is, that's a very tricky part that is new science. Now you heard it here first in 10 years, this may become standard practice that they, we actually do work that out and we do have measurements for those things. So I chose to vaccinate and to be honest, very large part of my rationale personally was less about me. This was one of those where I knew that there could be a risk to it impacting my chronic fatigue syndrome, potentially making things just at, at minimum, just harder on my immune system to function. I am aware of that there are things that happen where people are quote, never better since they've had a vaccine that does happen. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of controversy around the vaccine to vaccinate, to not vaccinate. And I am not here talking about every vaccine under the sun, under every condition. I'm literally specifically talking about in this moment in time, in a global pandemic and where we're standing in it and who I am quite frankly, as a physician and as an American in the Western world and somebody who can afford to be vaccinated, who can afford to deal with the consequences if there are consequences from them. And I'm a naturopath. So if I do have consequences for the vaccination, I feel very empowered that I have this, this community and the people and the knowledge around me to do it. And I will transmit less virus if I'm vaccinated. There will be yeah. the likelihood of slowing down transmission and not having it pass on to other people. So there was a big part of my decision that came from a public health stance. And you heard it here first, because normally I am not about that at all, but I just, that's what came through. And then now looking back, to be honest, there's just an enjoyment of life factor that I'm having because I don't even have to think about it. I mean, I got together with a group of friends last weekend and everybody was vaccinated. I bought a table off of Craigslist for my new house. And when I walked in the door, I could tell the person I'm vaccinated. They said I'm vaccinated too. There's a peace of mind that is coming with that. Yes. Caveat though, just because you're vaccinated does not, it's not a hundred percent. It's not foolproof. And that's some of where right, some right. debate is coming from is, are we feeling too overly protected? Are we having a bit of like superhero syndrome 
around vaccination that we shouldn't because it's not foolproof, but I have, like birth I have counters to counters. It is like birth control. <laughs> it's like birth control. It works a lot of the time, but it's not going to work every time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's definitely went into, especially being pregnant. It was a hard decision for me. Yeah. And it's something that I've spent a lot of time, you know, meditating on and kind of, for me, honestly, I think a little bit of it was like an, like a trusting my gut scenario. You know, the other part of it, I have a cousin who is a pharmacist. So kind of like almost the opposite side of medicine from where you're at, Uh uh (laughs) but she's also pregnant. Well, she was, she just had her baby and she got vaccinated. And so I just kind of followed her example, I guess, in this case. And, And for me, a big part of that was learning that babies whose mothers were vaccinated while the baby was in utero are being born with immunity to COVID-19. And I have a lot of family members who don't want to get vaccinated. And like you said, that's a highly personal decision and I respect that. But I, I didn't want to put myself in this position to like tell people that are important to me that they couldn't meet my baby. And so my thought was, you know, I'm fairly healthy. And like you said, I'm lucky enough to be able to be in a position where, you know, if it was hard on me, I, you know, can afford to take time off. I can afford to deal with those consequences had there been any so that, you know, I can, I can let those family members like see my baby because my baby will likely be. Yeah. Yeah. Now, but what a complicated decision it is. And here's the thing. I'm going to flip it around and play devil's advocate on the other side, which is part of my decision also though, was okay. So I don't get vaccinated. One, I'm going to have to be responsible for that in my communities and around certain people, including my parents and how I choose to participate in life. And then I looked at what if I get COVID? Now, I still could get COVID and I still could, and we could, we could all be sitting here with everyone laughing at us in a year when a different viral strain (laughs) shows up and these vaccines are null and void. Now, the likelihood of that happening is low. Will there be other strains of of COVID? Yes. I mean, it's already happening. It's mutating. And this is what we already know about coronaviruses. And compared to other coronaviruses, which the common cold is one of them, our bodies don't clear this virus in becoming 100% immune. We learn to live in concert with it. There are other viruses like this, Epstein-Barr virus being one, herpes being another, chickenpox, which is actually a type of herpes, is varicella. These are viruses that our bodies never fully clear. They stay in our body and we learn to live with them. And there's a very important part of our immune system that actually keeps those viruses latent. It keeps them from causing the disease. This is that thing of you can have the virus, but not have the disease. And so, you know, you can have herpes simplex one, herpes simplex two. You can have, you know, we all, most of us had the chicken pox. Some people had the chicken pox vaccine, but if your immune system gets out of balance and there's this particular way it can happen, we will then have the disease come and create a pathogenic process like shingles from chickenpox. And here's the yeah. kicker about this. Where this actually comes from is a cytokine, which we've been talking about, interferon gamma. And interferon gamma actually helps keep these viruses latent. It keeps them suppressed. It's like a wet blanket to a big old hot campfire. We only have enough interferon gamma around when our body is continually exposed to other bacteria and viruses. So something interesting has happened in this last year, not interesting to the people that this happened to, but 
<laughs> when we socially distanced and we wore masks and we weren't around other people, we didn't get colds. We didn't get upper respiratory infections. We didn't get the flu. We didn't get these other everyday run of the mill things. Shingles has gone through the roof. Herpes outbreaks have increased dramatically. Epstein-Barr virus, me, that's gone up. So we're actually seeing that the, our interferon gamma was not able to be tended to. So here's a stat for you straight out of the research, which is for healthy adult humans, we need to have about four infections per year to keep our immune system running properly. Now, this wow. doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually going to have a full-blown illness, but it might be that, God, I feel like I'm coming down with something and then 24 hours later, it's gone. Or something kind of came in and over the weekend, you kicked it out and it's done. That is like exercise for the immune system. You're priming the pump, you're turning up all the right cytokines, you're keeping all of the joints oiled up and working, and it helps keep the rest of your immune system in balance. We could do a whole second podcast about how we've eradicated parasites from the Western world, and there is a correlative increase in autoimmune disease. And in other countries, they're actually using some types of parasites to intentionally create a balance in the body and it can actually make a difference in autoimmune disease. And so, so like, it's very radical to think about actually intentionally causing a parasitic infection, but this is an area that, that we don't do well eradicating all microbes. We, we evolved in a very microbe rich environment. We need them on the outside of our body. So this goes back to the other thing, which is this is my understanding and I am willing to be wrong about it, but my understanding about the way the immune system works is it's not that your baby will be immune. You'll have the antibodies and if you breastfeed, you'll pass them on to your baby and she will have acquired immunity from you. It's considered passive immunity because she's not actually the one making the antibodies, but as long as you do that, here's the catch. If you're not breastfeeding, she's not going to get it. Yeah. Interesting. Because the way that her immune system works, she doesn't even have the ability to make her own antibodies predominantly until she's about 12 months old. That's something that comes online. And that's the whole big controversy. One of the things around childhood vaccinations is, are we actually even working with the way the immune system works when we vaccinate kids at very young ages, not going into that at this point, but she will get antibodies from you through your breast milk. And what we do know from some really cool research is those antibodies can stay in her system for between three and five days. So even as she gets older and for kid, for mamas who are still breastfeeding their kids like once a day or once every couple of days, they're continuing to get that acquired passive immunity from you, from your antibodies through that breast milk, even if it's not the predominant source of calories in food. That's interesting. And, and this is, you know, I can share too in the show notes, the article that kind of is talking about what you're talking about. It's from Harvard uh, University, but about the vaccine protecting mothers. And here's and the thing is we're actually, we are learning new stuff and we're studying a lot more. So when I, you know, posed this question to the panel members in the vaccine seminar about do we vaccinate when we're pregnant or not? Is that safe? The big question was, we can't say yes or no, because we've been very unwilling to do double blind placebo controlled studies with pregnant women. Right. You right. 30,000 women are going to get something that could potentially be toxic for you and kill your baby. And you 30,000 women are not. 
nobody would sign up for that study. <laughs> but what's right. interesting is because of the state of affairs and where we're at, people are actually, we have, there's a big study that's going on right now with like, I think almost over 15 or 20,000 pregnant women who are getting the vaccine. We're actually going to learn a lot from this. We're going to get a lot of data from women who were willing to get the COVID vaccine that in other different circumstances, they would never have been willing to do it. And we're going to be able to learn more about that passive and acquired immunity and how does it affect our babies because of it. So thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The other, the other thing, and, and you can let me know your thoughts on including this, but the other thing that helped make my decision was actually a Netflix documentary called, I think it's called human nature. Mm. I'll put it in the show notes too, but it's about the science of MRNA yeah. vaccines and how yeah. that works. And it was something I was not familiar with at all. And, you know, the idea of taking any sort of like live virus vaccine would have been like completely off the table. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I wouldn't have been willing to do that while I was pregnant. And even, you know, a dead virus vaccine would have been a little concerning. And mRNA, as far as like my exposure to that term, it was brand spanking new. Yep. But for me, I mean, and not that this affects, the documentary is not for, about the vaccine at all, actually. They just it's had just that in there. About, it's about mRNA technology and the way that we can do genetic editing. And that concept was, I mean, it's wildly fascinating right. in general. It's a fantastic documentary if you haven't watched it, but it was intriguing enough to me and alleviated enough of like my fears about it that like that felt like the right decision for me. Again, I'll state that like a lot of my decision felt for me more like a gut or like intuitive decision, you know, that I, you, you know, yeah. through prayer and meditation felt like this was the right decision for me. But like you said, we'll find out in a few years. Well, and so <laughs> in a few years, we'll learn if that was a good or bad idea. <laughs> You know, this has been like, like there, I mean, there's no way to bottom line this. And it really does come down to a personal decision. And, and I am going to put the plug in a personal decision in the context of this pandemic in the world right now with like the conditions across the planet. Yeah. It, it, you know, it was personal to me to consider the lives of everyone on the planet, but it was still, you know, it was both, but here's the thing. People have gotten COVID and people are going to be sick from the impact of that virus for a very long time. Not everyone, but there will be people that did and people have gotten vaccinated and we have strong data that shows like correlations between vaccinations and MS, correlation between vaccinations and autism, correlation between vaccinations. And this is the thing. And I mean, I don't know why this could potentially be such a like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm gonna say this because it should be basic. There isn't a drug in history or a medical procedure in history ever that hasn't had a downside. Of course, vaccines have a downside. So do antibiotics, so do antidepressants, yep. so do birth control, so does surgery, so does all of it, but that also doesn't mean it has no upside and it doesn't mean we right. should never do it and it doesn't mean we should always do it. And so there are, and here's the thing that I'm going to soapbox about is don't vaccine shame because you have no idea what that person is dealing with. It is just as personal as an abortion. It is just as personal, probably should not have just said that, but it's just as personal <laughs> of a decision as any medical treatment or procedure, which is it's none of your business. And there are people that it is in their best interest 
to not be vaccinated because of the risk analysis and their circumstances and their genetics and what they know about their family and the state of their health. So the good news is, is for those of us who can take that risk and are willing, we can help protect them by having more of us vaccinated. And this is an imperfect medical world. Hey guys, guess what? Spoiler alert. The medical industry isn't perfect. It doesn't work perfectly. It never has. In fact, our medical industry is massively broken and totally failing in so many areas. So then to hold this one thing up to such high status and criticism is totally throwing out the issue with the bathwater. And it's, it is a hot button topic. And I would like to drill it down into the science where it doesn't have to be. And it really is about facts and it's about choice. And it's about, you know, what we're, cause, cause that, that was a bit of what I looked at is like, I'm a good candidate for having post COVID syndrome. So my risk was, I might have something with the vaccine. I might have something from the actual virus itself. And, you know, we don't have any data to say which one is more statistically likely than the other. And then, you know, there's anyways, I've said all that. I'm starting to repeat myself. But <laughs> one thing I would like to, you know, because let's slip in the end. What can we do about some of this? Because we should totally yep. wrap it up. Yep. There are some things you can do if you haven't been vaccinated yet and you're going to get vaccinated to actually strengthen your immune system and have your body be even more ready for it. And even a few days, but like a month would be awesome, which is you can alter your microbiome and you can do it in 30 days. And so one of my favorite things about altering the microbiome is let yourself be exposed to antigens. Antigens are all the little stuff in the world that cause us to actually react to stuff. And one of my favorite quotes of Dr. Heather's wiki is, you want to change your antigen profile, lick the dog. So it's actually known that households that have kids that have dealt with a lot of ear infections, if you get a dog or a cat, the ear infections can drop by up to 40% because you're stimulating their immune system by exposure to antigens. Your kiddos have, you've got chickens, you've got bees, you dig around in the garden. Gardening is another great way to change your microbiome, take up gardening. Then for sure, altering your diet. And so even if it's just doing the whole 30 for 30 days, that would be an excellent thing to do before you are going to get vaccinated. It also is going to be supportive to preventing actually getting COVID in the first place is to help your body with lots of healthy vegetables and, you know, healthy proteins and minimize processed food. That's a huge culprit to messing up the microbiome is sugar, processed grains, processed dairy, things like that. Then there's a few that we've talked about actually in episode... 13 of season three, when we talked about what can you just do in general to support your body? Well, there's some known things out there like zinc, vitamin A that actually are supportive to your immune system and fish oil or other essential fatty acids that are supportive to decreasing your inflammation. And even if you're just trying to prevent the inflammatory response your body has after getting the vaccine, I actually recommend A, do nothing. Let your body run its course and have the symptoms it's going to have, knowing guess what? It's going to be temporary. You're mostly going to get through it in probably 36 hours. That's the best way to let your body respond to the vaccine. Otherwise, what I did was I actually took a homeopathic remedy 24 hours after my first vaccine. And there are a whole bunch of different ones that are out there that are specific. There was one that came up. It actually felt a lot like a big giant spider bite or bug bite. And so my first thought was apis or letum because those are both known for being really good for bee stings and, and for spider bites. But then I started to think about it more. For me personally, it hurt more when it was still. And if I moved around, the pain started to get less. And that was bryonia. And there's a handful of others. Sulfur has come up for some people. So there's some homeopathic remedies. 
or good old cannabis is a great anti-inflammatory. If it's legal in your state, that's, it could be just CBD. You could do CBD THC with like a one to 20 or one to four. I'm not prescribing that. I have no rights to prescribe that. You need to talk to your practitioners and your healthcare providers about any of that, but that's a known, very natural anti-inflammatory. Turmeric is a known natural anti-inflammatory. The, the likelihood of turmeric or cannabis or fish oil or vitamin A, they're not going to suppress your body's ability to respond naturally to the vaccine. The only tricky thing with vitamin A is if you take too much of it, it can cause a headache. And one of the responses to the vaccine can be a headache and you won't know whether it was the vaccine or the vitamin A. So don't do high dose vitamin A, just do a standard dose of it. But those are all things that you can actually do to prepare yourself if you're not already vaccinated to manage it the best way you can. And then if you have any problems after, hire a naturopath. That's my shameless yes. plug. Not me. I'm almost full. You can hire somebody else. No, but really like there's tons of integrative practitioners and there's tons of chiropractors and there's tons of functional medicine doctors and there's tons of functional medicine coaches who can support your body around any sort of long-term viral impacts you're having, no matter what the source of it is. Great. Is there anything else? Is there anything well, else we need to know? We have to stop because I mean, you yeah, know, there's, <laughs> there's so many more facets to this, but I'm really glad we did this episode. And, yeah. and I mean, the I said at the beginning, be the show notes will be robust and you guys really like, if you're listening to this and you're like, that's not true, or I read this or whatever, like we'll take corrections. I'll be happy to put corrections in because I yep. wanted to give you the best that I have from what I've learned and, and what I've experienced in my own practice. And it's a moving target. And there's a lot of stuff that's happening, you know, in the research world, minute by minute. And we're not oh, going to yeah. know for five to 10 years. And then the tricky part is we'll never be able to say it was the COVID vaccine because there's so many other factors, increased pollution, increased issues with organophosphates that, you know, what, what I can guarantee is there will be a massive increase in autoimmune disease over the next 10 years, but it's not going to be just COVID. There's going to be so many other sources. It's the world we live in. That's the other half of this episode I would like to do that we're not going to do right now is the environment, our farming practices, our food practices, the fishing industry. I mean, I could go on, but we'll have to do it some other time. Maybe, maybe we put a pin in that idea and take note of it for season five, episode 13. Yeah. And take our, you know, what we're doing to our microbiome out into the world and how we're affecting the world's biome. Yeah, exactly. This has been awesome, Sarah. I definitely am excited to do the show notes for this episode. It's going to be probably one of our longer show notes, which is good (laughs) because people should be doing their research and, you know, they should read some of these articles and it's a great place to start, especially if you're struggling to make decisions for, for yourself, for your family. And I'm glad, you know, you mentioned that it's a very personal decision and gave us a lot of good information to help us make that decision. And man, what a powerful way to wrap up an awesome season. Right. And an awesome year. This, oh, is, this was the, the best as year. far as we could see into the future <laughs> of Heal was to this point. But now yeah. we've got, I mean, I have so many awesome guests I've got lined up for season five. I almost have all of season five, like scheduled, like booked out. I know who we're interviewing and then more for season six. And I mean, I put this in most of the exits, but really you guys, 
If you have ideas for the show, if you have topics that you want us to explore, or if you have yourself, you want to share your story of the healing journey, your path, what you've discovered, you know, you can contact me and Kendra through the website at sarahmarshallnd.com under connect. And, you know, if you want, there's actually a place where you can fill out a form and request to be a guest on Heal. I've now updated that. It's pretty awesome. And so, you know, whatever is there for you guys too, we want to co-create this with you. You, we would not still be here looking down season two without you, the listeners and who's been tuning in and who's been actually, you know, whoever made it to the end of this episode too, to hear this really, we appreciate you so, 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 so much. Thank you guys. Let's just do it for another awesome year. Yep. I am so excited to be along for the ride. And with that, I think that's a wrap. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Kendra. Inspired by you, our community of over 4,500 incredible listeners, Dr. Marshall will be launching some courses and workshops in 2021. Be the first to know about them and other great tidbits of wisdom by joining our mailing list at sarahmarshallnd.com. Thank you to Dr. Sarah Marshall for always showing up for us and creating a space where we can learn and heal together. For a full transcript and all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you in season five. <laughs>